I'm going to pester them until they hire me. And if they hire me to clean toilets, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to impress with them how well I do and how fun I am to be around. <laughs> and, uh, and they're going to hire me for animation eventually. This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Growing up among the steel mills of Hamilton, Ontario, Don Perot knew he wanted something different for his life. But when his first attempt at getting out failed, he knew he needed to cast his net wider. And the result was acceptance at art school in Vancouver. He found his comrades among the misfits studying animation at Emily Carr College of Art and Design, now known as Emily Carr University of Art and Design. It was here that Don fell in love with education and he set a goal for himself, work in the industry for a decade, and then turn his life to teaching, a goal he achieved just shy of his 10-year plan. In our lively discussion, Don recounts some of the experiences that shaped his career, from the string of rejection letters and bad interviews that nudged him in the direction of finding his true calling, to his experience setting up the world-renowned animation program at Capilano University and his 20-plus years career as an educator. Here's our conversation with Don Perot. I wanted to start with finding out a little bit about where you grew up. Oh, Hamilton, Ontario, Steel City, you know, next to Toronto. Grew up in the 60s and uh, it was known for its uh, two big steel firms. I worked at one for various summers in the worst job ever. It was uh, Coke ovens where they burn the coal off to uh, purify it. And when it's purified, it's called Coke. And then it goes into the uh, blast furnace for a high heat that can melt the, the steel. So you ever saw the beginning of Deer Hunter? That's where I worked. Okay, that's scary. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It kept me in school, literally, because it paid well. And, uh, you know, when I was at school in Vancouver, it would, uh, it, I'd have to go back during the nicest time and to be in Vancouver. And I'd be going back to Hamilton and working in the coke ovens. <laughs> and, uh, so it was just, you know, it was just like, yeah, I don't want to be here forever. I'm going to stay in school. We all watch animation when we're young. But when did you first decide that that was something that you want to try and do for a living? Because clearly you didn't grow up in a place where this was something that people were making down the street. Yeah, well, I got into drawing with my my older brother, who's 10 years older than I am. And he taught me how to draw a horse's head. And I was like grade six, grade five. And so he said and he was going into the arts. He ended up as a, you know, going to Ontario College of Art and graphic design. And so he was kind of my the one I followed and he taught me how to draw this horse's head. So I went to school and I drew a horse's head and automatically had these friends hanging around me like, wow, this and so of course your ego is gonna make you want to do more. <laughs> and so because uh, I was kind of chubby, shy. <laughs> so this was a great way to to make friends. So I I uh I, I asked him to help me draw some more things like a whole horse or <laughs> you know other things. And so I, I got into art, drawing and painting that way and really liked it and uh but didn't want to be an animator. Didn't know about animation, of course, as none of us did at that time. But I did, you know, draw the Grinch uh, every Christmas, like laying on in the living room floor with paper and 
and trying to watch the Grinch and then on commercial breaks, trying to draw the Grinch. And <laughs> so <laughs> it's the first thing. So I didn't, still not animation, but did art at school and won the art award and, you know, and just was the one that did all the logos and designs for the cheerleaders uniform and, you know, the, the hockey letter and it was uh, so did that stuff um, and then decide I want to get into Ontario College of Art and go into graphic design like my brother and got turned down okay, made the waiting list so it's great as a teacher you know what it's like to be rejected and uh, but it was actually the best thing that happened to me because I had a year to work in the steel mills and make some money you know and really figure out okay well I should apply to more than one place because you know, you, you kind of have to hedge your bets. So I applied to like 50 different schools, like literally 50 schools in four different career paths. Oh, so you could have just as easily have done been doing something else. I could have been on a, an icebreaker in the Arctic right now. So what were your other options for careers if this uh, art thing didn't pan out? Coast Guard College in Sydney, Nova Scotia. And I went through all the tests and passed the psychological test and the and the mechanical aptitude test and and then the final interview for that school because it was like they paid for your good degree and uh, and I thought it'd be great to fly helicopters <laughs> and uh, so uh, and be on rescue helicopters and and so I went to. I went from Hamilton to Toronto, down on the waterfront in this huge high rise and took up and went there on my motorcycle with my buddy on the back <laughs> in my jeans, leather jacket. And I go up to this room and and uh, have, you know, uh, I, I left the helmet with my friend, but I walked in with helmet hair and stepped into this boardroom of like about 12 people. Half of them are in uniform and I'm there with like <laughs> leather jacket, helmet hair. And and they said sit down and so I sit down. I say, well, what do you know? To, what do you know about Transport Canada? I said, Transport Canada. What the heck? <laughs> Something to do with airports. <laughs> so that was the first question that I bombed. And uh, the second one it says says here you want to be a helicopter pilot. Um, you know we don't hire helicopter pilots. We don't uh, train helicopter pilots. We hire them from the industry. I said, oh. <laughs> said, so are you still interested? I said, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so of course I didn't get that, but it was a great learning opportunity because like that was like, okay, research the job you're trying to get. And uh, and that helped a lot with me getting into school finally um, because um, I did a lot of research. But anyway, thank goodness I, I didn't get into the Coast Guard. But, um, and the other was forestry at Lakehead University and um you know, just things I like to do, you know, be out in the woods and stuff. So, um, and then graphic design, University of Hawaii graphic design. And they said, well, we hard, hardly bring anybody in from the mainland, let alone other countries. But uh, if you want to, we can interview this day. And I said, oh, no, never mind. But uh, Emily Carr hired, uh, hired and brought me in. Um, they accepted me because by then I was learning tricks along the way. So what I did, because I didn't get into OCA because I think there was a photographer and a painter and they didn't want to see my cartoons. And uh, so when it was Emily Carr, I, I sent a letter out saying like to the animation, um, the head of animation, Hugh Folds, and uh, which I found from the calendars. There was no internet, but you could go to the university, lo local university and get calendars on any school. And uh, so I, I wrote a letter and said, Hey, you know, you, uh, uh, 
uh, my portfolio should be there by now. I don't know who's going to look at it, but uh, you know, I'd love to get into animation. You know, not fully honest. And uh, uh, yeah, and if uh, if you see it and you'd like it, maybe you could put in a good word for me, right? So because I was just trying to figure, I, I figured at that time you can get anything you want if you work for it and work, you know, find the strategy. And so I, um, so I I did get in. It wasn't because of Hugh. It was uh, the because the dean asked me to look at the like if they could have my portfolio to show high school teachers so i figured okay well i guess it was a good portfolio but it wasn't very good drawing it was just creative which was good for emily carr they liked that and so that late years later i asked my teacher because now we're at emily carr in vancouver I'm, i leave at 20 years old and go to vancouver and just say hey yeah here i am no friends didn't know anybody didn't have any family there it was but it was cool adventure and so um, but years later, I, I said, hey, you remember uh, that letter, you know, that went through and uh, talk, asking you to, to look at my portfolio? He goes, oh, you were the brown noser. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing that, you know, you had the foresight over the course of like that year or two year break that you had between, you know, graduation and applying to all these colleges and having these uh, experiences with rejection that really you apply that to you know, once you kind of figure out exactly what you wanted to do, you do exactly how to go around to, to try to get that done. Well, the whole thing is learning from your mistakes, right? Like that Coast Guard college interview was was terrible at the time, but it was like, oh, and then I use that forever after and teach that. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so getting into Emily Carr was fun and backed up. And uh, so after first year at Emily Carr, it was amazing because like it was foundation year and most people don't want to do foundation year. They want to go right into what they want to do. And uh, I was the same, wanted to get into graphic design. But um, so I sat in on graphic design courses. Like I got to know the second year students who were first year graphic design and, and they would tell me which classes I should sit in on and typography and things. And I would get to know the teachers there as this keener foundation guy. And, um, and then in second year where you specialize, I was right into graphics, had all my graphics courses. And at the time in the eighties, it was the thing to do. Graphic design was a big thing and animation wasn't because <laughs> animation is what you did if you wanted to be poor for the rest of your life and uh, homeless and without a job. And that, that was the nature of animation or you just did your own little independent films while you lived in your parents' house. It was the first day of that. And I went to the graphic design lectures and it was all really boring and I had worked in graphics doing paste up and stuff for telephone book publishers and in when I was in first year and then I got to second year and I was kind of like ah oh, this is kind of boring <laughs> and I thought I knew I could do well if I went into it but I was getting kind of demor you know not so keen on it and I walked over to see my friends who had taken animation and they had done flip books and shot them on a really new technology tape videotape recorder reel to reel and they and so I didn't see the flip books I just saw the animation that was came from it and I was in shock like like these guys did this on their first day ah, this is amazing <laughs> and uh, so I I had uh, I I went to the teacher I walked around for an hour on Granville Island just like what am I going to do like animation is amazing but I've already talked to the teacher and he said like there's no work and even if there is work there's no money and I just walked around and at the end of it, like an hour walking around Grand Island, I just said, 
I got to do this. I don't care if there's no work. I, I just have to learn this. Like I have to spend the next three years just learning this because it's like magic. And and so I went to him and said, yeah, I, I'd like to take, I'd like to leave graphics and come over to animation. And and, and uh, he said, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we've got room. <laughs> there were empty desks because people didn't take animation. It wasn't like there was a lineup or anything. <laughs> so so I joined some really great friends to like eventually became really close. And there were nine of us in second year and six of us when we graduated. Um, you know, and some really like, you know, like, you know, my my roommate was Ken Lidster, and we're still friends. He's in Portland, but he he we we both did three D stop motion animation. So, but I knew there was uh, and, and Ken went on to National Film and Television School, and was a student at the same time. Nick Park and Tony Collingwood and Mark Baker were there, and I got to visit them there and meet Nick Park and all these people and to see their films. Their their grad their you know post-grad films that they did at that school and uh, it was really neat um, but uh yeah so so we had a great time the animators um just just were there at school all the time they were open till two um you know that was a time when you could actually bring alcohol into the classroom <laughs> so we would have parties and you know you were on this path to a career that was you know, probably going to be very profitable financially and stable. And, you know, you would have a job that would pay well. Your brother's already in this industry. Does anybody in your family, do any of them come up to you and say, like, Don, what are you thinking, man? Like, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. Oh, you know, well, well, first of all, I was I was like thousands of miles away. So they didn't really know what I was doing. And I like that independence. It was fun getting out of the city and not going to Sheridan because I knew Sheridan. And, and I just like, why would I go to Sheridan? I, I think that's like a half hour drive. Like I'd have to live at home. And I want adventure. So, um, but yeah, they no, my, my parents, uh, my mom was a nurse and my dad was a welder at Westinghouse in a factory. And, and they both were, you know, four brothers <laughs> and, uh, and I was like at the bottom end of the age group and uh, they they were okay with anything you want to do. Basically, they never really pushed us. Well, my mom kind of wanted me to be a priest because one one person that was at the time when you had 13 kids and one became a priest. And like my aunt is a nun. She, she's 96. I just got a Christmas card from her. <laughs> Nova Scotia. The uh, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, yeah, it was good because like that's that's really great. There was like they just let you do what you wanted and learn from your mistakes. And it was the mistakes that taught me so much, right? I mean, yeah, just and just being able to shift gears, like say, okay, not graphic design, and let's try this, and and for love, not money, right? Just, just that sense of adventure seems to you know track with a lot of your experiences over the course of your career. Can we talk a little bit about? You know, you graduate from Emily Carr in 84. You, they've told you that there's no prospects for work. So what do you what do you do from there? Well, I, I my viewpoint at school with was that if I was the best in the class and there was one job, it would be mine. There were no other animation schools in Vancouver, only like two in Canada, really. And um, so I, I just, you know, just uh, let's try to be the best. And I wasn't the best. And uh but you know, just wanting to be the best 
takes you pretty far. So I, I, you know, and drawing wasn't a big thing at, at Emily Carr at that time. So my drawing skills weren't that great, but my film and editing and camera changing, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, there was no work. Chris Delaney just started the Delaney and Friends studio. Um, before that was just our friend Marv. Al Sens were two independent animators. And I went to Al Sens and, and said, hey, Al, you know, like, uh, let me get your reel and I'll go around Vancouver and I'll, I'll like get interviews and I'll, I'll, I'll find jobs for you. How's that? And, and you don't have to pay me. You just have to, like, when I do get work for you, you have to hire me to work on whatever projects I bring in. It was kind of crazy. And and Al was, like, saying, well, you know, I don't have enough to support myself, let alone you. But uh, I, I like your I like your gumption. And, <laughs> and gumption was a word then. And uh, he, he said, yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, stay in touch because I, 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 you know, I'm impressed, but you know, we did that at the film board too. Like I, I we, uh, Marvin done Marvin Anajam. Like we all know Anajam from Marv, and he came by when he was in progress with it, and he told us I was a second year student at the time, and he said, "Yeah, this is what I'm doing." So we all said, "Yeah, let's do one too." So don't tell Marv, but we're actually like the first Anajam ever done. <laughs> but it's just a uh, only only one person has the copy, and I I don't know where that is. So. Uh, but uh, it was fun because everybody got to work on this thing. And, and so that became a thing as, as all schools love Anajam. So Marv invented something great. And uh, so that's what I did in my fourth year. By then, I started thinking I'd, it'd be fun to be a teacher, although there was only Sheridan and, and Emily Carr. And Emily Carr had one teacher full time, no part time. And, and Sheridan wasn't going to hire me because I was from another school. I figured that pretty early and uh, didn't work at Disney. I figured my only way to get back in to teach, which was like going to first year over and over again every year without having to pay tuition. And that was the plan because I had so much fun in first year. I just said, I want to do this every year. I just want to be a first year student every year, but how can I do that? And so I thought, oh, I could be a teacher. And so, so yeah, it's, uh, so we did an anagem because that way I could direct a film. Right. I could have my own film, which was stop motion, which I knew was a dead end as far as you a career went. I mean, it wasn't for some people like my friend Ken did great. And um, but I just thought, well, if I want to teach, I'm going to have to get into 2D. And uh, um, so I did a 2D anagem that I directed with my friends for uh, it was Expo 86 was coming up. And we said, let's do a vignette because NFB did these vignettes and uh and uh, so I so I approached the head of the film board and we went there for a meeting and said, let's do this. This is our plan. And, and they said, oh, this is great. Students have never come to us with like a project like this. And, this is <laughs> and they said, but, you know, and they said, but we would want uh, creative control in terms of like, and said, oh, no, we want to keep it to ourselves. <laughs> and so we did this anagem and I still got it. It's amazing. And, you know, Wendy Tilby is in it. And, Charlie Grant, um, Martin Rose, who's like been at the teaching at Emily Carr forever. We're good friends, and uh, <laughs> and, it, and it was fun. So we did that and that, and I had a third film planned, um, but uh, never got time to do it. So graduated, no work. Uh, Chris Delaney said, "Stick around. There's going to be work." And I said, "I've heard that before. I'm going back east." <laughs> and so, because back east had Nelvana, and, and that's where I wanted to go. So is that where you ended up? Was that Nelvana? Yeah, back home with my parents in Hamilton, which I loved being there. A great relationship. I just didn't want to be 
dependent on anybody anymore. And uh, so I was trying to get out. So I would look around for work. So I would go to um, studios all around Toronto. I would just like, it was an hour on the bus and uh, I'd have my big portfolio with all my videotapes and film and paper. And, and I would go knock, I would look in the phone book at the phone booth at the time, just find a motion picture and where's the next one and where's the map. Okay, how do I walk there? And so I'd go around Toronto knocking on animation studio doors and saying, hi, got to work. <laughs> and that was pretty dead. And I got a strawberry shortcake test from Nelvana, which I totally ruined because I didn't really know how to animate yet. And uh, um, didn't know how to do in-betweens or what timing charts were. And uh, not that I wasn't taught them at some point. It may have happened, but because like students say they didn't learn something, but it's really they just they weren't, they were taught it, but they just didn't learn it. <laughs> so I know that. So I'm not going to blame my teacher on that. So, uh, uh, so I, uh, so I went to a, a place that did stop motion. I walked in and he, he was really gruff and no, no, you know, we don't want anything. He, he, I guess he thought I was a shared in 2d person. And I was leaving. I said, Oh, I saw the puppets on the wall. I said, you do stop motion. He goes, yeah. He goes, that's my film. That was my grad film. You know, and he said, oh, let me see. <laughs> got it? Got it. What do you got? And said, VHS, three-quarter video or film? What do you want? <laughs> I've got them all. And uh, so I loaded up the projector and he watched it. And, and uh, you know, the animation was okay. But he said, what I really like is that lighting. I've never seen lighting like that. He said, what, do you have a resume? And there's CV. And I, I, I handed it to him. He said, okay, well, we don't have any work right now, but let me know. I'll let you know. So that was good. But then I was still going further afield so I rode my motorcycle to Ottawa five hours ride and um, interviewed for the raccoons and which was a CBC show started by Kevin Gillis and uh, Sheldon Wiseman and uh, I went out there and um, the director had the same motorcycle that I had a KZ 650 red and I was like okay well I'm in for sure <laughs> and we had the interview but of course like they didn't hire me um, because I found out later what they do is like they would just say to the people that are currently working there, like, hey, anybody know this guy? Um, anybody know this person? And, and of course, nobody did because they're all Sheridan grads because that was the only school you would get go to for animation at that time, um, unless you're in Vancouver. And so, so, so of course, I, I didn't get work. And plus, my drawing was pretty bad. And so, you know, I didn't get it. But I I vowed to my girlfriend in Germany I wrote her a letter and said the next time you hear from me I'm going to be working here <laughs> even though they had just said no okay wait how do you meet a girlfriend in Germany in the days pre-internet how does this even happen Don her cousin was in Hamilton and my high school buddies I've got like I've got like three really close high school friends that I'm still really good friends with and they uh one of my friends was going out with this girl from another high school and her cousin turned out to be my future wife so she came for a visit with her grandmother and then went out with these guys but they weren't really they were just like watching movies and stuff so I said well that's pretty boring let me take you around and I had her on I'd motorcycle and drive around Shore Hamilton. <laughs> so we became pen pals kind of for a few years. I was still in college in Vancouver and, and she went back to Germany. But I wrote to my girlfriend in Germany saying, next time you hear from me, um, I'm going to be working in Ottawa at, at Film Arts, Crawley Films, and uh, which was the first studio to do the raccoons. And it was crazy because they had just said no. 
but I'm going to pester them until they hire me. And if they hire me to clean toilets, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to impress with them how well I do and how fun I am to be around. <laughs> and, uh, and they're going to hire me for animation eventually. So um, so I, my first job, my first attempt was to write this guilt tripping card comic that uh, had this chubby character leaving Granville Island and taking a bus east and being not getting jobs and getting turned down at jobs and then getting kicked out of their apartment. It's just so small. It's just like a 10 panel thing, getting kicked out of their apartment, crawling like in the park, destitute. And then it starts to snow because this is Ottawa and then it gets dark and, and Don's crawling through the snow saying food, shelter, employment. And, and then there's a mound of snow and Don's lying there under that mound of snow and you see a little gasp. And then you see uh, later and there's a tombstone that says, uh, here lies Don, he died from lack of experience. <laughs> and then there's the, the last panel is um, Don at St. Peter's Gate and St. Peter's looking down on over the shoulder shop on little Don down there. And Don's saying, is is this heaven? And and St. Peter says, never mind that. Let's see your resume. Please tell me that got you the job. Yeah, it was really funny because I still have I have the original uh, in my office. Uh, it's uh, and I it's, it's a great you know, you tell students like, yeah, you may not just get the head job handed to you. You may have to really hustle for it. And so what happened, I, I didn't know if there was a president or whatever, but I just said to the president, 19 Fairmont Avenue, Ottawa, and uh, decorated the envelope with cartoons and things and, uh, uh, and just sent it. So what happened was it did go to the top. They laughed and they said, sent it down one level and they laughed and sent it down one level. And it finally got down to the department that hires people off the street to paint cells, like to paint the back of the plastic acetate cells um, that you would put over the background and paint the characters on. And uh, and so they they just, the, the two guys there, uh, Weldon Pops um, and, and uh, Lee, that's the last name. They had laughed and they said, we got to see what this guy looks like. Call him up. <laughs> so they phoned me and said, hey, do you want a job in Ottawa? It pays minimum wage, $4 an hour. And I said, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, you start October 20th. Is the, the plan still in the back of your mind that you're, the ultimate goal is to get back into teaching at some point? Yeah, well, it was kind of like simmering because it wasn't a real plan. It was kind of an idea. But then when I got that job, I started as a cell painter. And two weeks later, they hired me to be a checker. So a checker is somebody who flips through the animation paper to make sure all the buttons have been drawn on and Bert's tail isn't missing, which I did as an animator once. I forgot to animate his tail. And he's got this huge tail. <laughs> and uh, so I was a checker. And then, you know, I kept saving all my great ideas in an envelope and I would hand them off to the my boss to say this is why I need a raise and because I've saved you so much time so and I was starting to learn all the things that I wished I had learned in school and then I really wanted to become a teacher and so I developed a 10-year plan because I figured I'd need 10 years experience before I could go back to Emily Carr and, and before Hugh was ready to retire because um, that was the only option and uh, and uh, but I'll need to work in every department and I'll need to like learn every pro part of the process which they call the pipeline now and I should be a director and I should get international experience and I just had a list of things I thought I would need to 
be a teacher. So I, I that was the real plan, but it was a 10-year plan. So I, uh, I volunteered for different things, like breakdown for um, Lynn Johnson's Best as President. I did the whole show just breaking down the dialogue for the animators to know which mouths to use and um, some editing, camera work. I was working in camera, like shooting the animation, um, lots of different things. So uh, yeah, it was that was part of the plan. So we were in-betweeners. I, I managed to work my way up to in-betweening. And again, that was tricky because they said, we don't want you to leave checking. We don't want you to leave production side. We don't want you to go to animation. Uh, that's what the last guy did. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. But then I, when they made me supervisor of checking, I said, okay, only if you give me four hours of in-betweening. And they said, no, 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 you have to, you know, we, we want you to stay in production. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, but that's what I went to school for. So I kind of lied. I said, that's what I went to school for. And, um, but, you know, I just want to do what I went to school for, for a little bit. And, but secretly, I knew that if they need somebody, they're going to take the, the goof who is doing the four hours well. And, uh, yeah. So they gave me the four hours and it wasn't a matter. It was just a matter of time when they needed somebody and they said, okay, you're full time in between. And that went on for two years with like a group of people who became like superstars around me um, eventually, but, um, or even studio owners. <laughs> and Craig Sullivan was one of them. He, he's one of the owners of Slap Happy cartoons now, right? So he, we were all there in the in-between dungeon for for two years and, and then we found out they were hard they were bringing animators in from Sheridan to animate while we were stuck there and it was because the the raccoons executives wanted to keep the A team in between so I said well forget that you know and then so I, by then my pen pal came for a visit and we hit it off again so I said okay well I'll come over to Germany and you know see it in at Christmas so we, we went there and um and she set up an interview for me you know, like through the government like they have like employment services and she says oh my husband is coming in <laughs> it's a job and uh so they found an interview for me up in North Germany where animation wasn't really done it was done in Berlin and Munich and there wasn't much of it anyway it wasn't really an animation country then and um so I went to this studio and and basically got hired and so um, packed up, um, they sent me a contract in German. I didn't, couldn't read it. So I asked my girlfriend, like, like, you know, what is it? She goes, yeah, it's a good one. You should sign it. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> but it had five weeks holidays. Uh, so like that was February and by August I was in Greece for three weeks. So like working in Europe is, is great. And uh, so I was there and, and had terrible time. I don't know if this is where we're going with the conversation, but now we're in Germany. Uh, I was there for two years. So I started there at a small studio that didn't really have a real pipeline or anything. I was started by a graphic design company, an account who ran a live action company. I was there as the only animator. There was the director animator, and then there was me. And the director animator was like really jealous or like just worried that I was going to take over his job because here's this kid from Canada where they do animation and he went to school. And I'm thinking, I'm not trying to take your job. I'm just trying to learn. And uh, but anyway, he he kind of had a breakdown and quit. And uh, and so they took my girlfriend and me out for dinner, the count and the graphic design boss. And they took us out for dinner and said, do you think you could run this? And do you think you could take this over? And I said, yeah, sure. Because it was all it was like Sesame Street style animation for a, a, a show called Zonmenchen, which is uh, Sandman. And uh, 
Bruno Bazzetto did, who's a famous Italian animator, did the uh, did the opening for it, and uh, it was only a, like a few minutes. Like I think it was like a two minute, three minute thing with one minute on each side. And kids watched it since like the forties or thirties even to go to or for uh, I don't know they would have seen it in theaters um, from the fifties anyway. There was an East German one and a West German sound man and. Kids watched it at seven o'clock and then they went to bed. So, uh, so I got to animate on a small series part of that bigger production, and and we would just go up to um, when I was like I was there, and so the things I learned at Emily Carr really helped me then because I did have to change thirty-five millimeter film cameras and work on the editing, and and I went to the live action place to uh, help with editing. So I had all my scenes like numbered one, two, three, four, and we sat down at the editing table. Uh, and uh, the the editor was there. He was like part owner of the live action studio with the count. And he put my film on. He put a scene on, just rolled it up, and he like picks up my scene one and cuts it in half. I think what? <laughs> like that's that's like, like live action. You're just gonna take all these shots and just cut your film, and that's where you make the film. Is in the editing room. And, and in animation, it's done differently, right? You storyboard it, which is all your editing, and then you shoot just what you need. You don't have time to shoot three angles of, of an animated scene. So so he didn't know that, I guess. And he starts like just cutting things together as if it's live action. And I hardly knew any German then. And, and I was like standing behind him in shock saying like, nine, nine, was machen Sie. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> And he looks at me and looks at me for a minute and then turns back to a thing. But then the phone rings and they call him away for a phone call. I think, oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> I sit down and I just start editing it the way it's supposed to be, like one, two, three. <laughs> and uh, he comes back, looks at me and leaves. Like, he says, oh, OK, because we're fine here. He probably didn't want to do it anyway. <laughs> so this guy can edit his own movie. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, I learned that you had to leave something in the middle or something because I was used to editing 16 millimeter where you have to like you put scene one and then scene two is on another roll of film so that you don't get little flashes between the scenes. And um, and with with, you know, it gave me suggestions, but I would go in and yeah, and I would use, you know, we didn't do breakdowns, so I didn't know where the music was. So I would go in and pre and figure out where the beats were to the music. So because they're all musicals. And then I would animate it to the music. So they were in shock. They, they said, oh, it works with the music. And I said, yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to. So yeah, so I was there and worked there for two years. But it was very simple things. And um, we painted our own cells. And we had a few, a lot of people. We had an unpaid intern, uh, Torsten Kola, who is now like a professor of calligraphy in, in Braunschweig, Germany. And we're still friends. And he was my first student. <laughs> And uh, and Jurgen Kernicka, who is a graphic designer who's paid to be the background painter. So it's basically the three of us. And uh, um, and, and uh, we had a great time. It was in a 600-year-old villa with Chippendale furniture from the owner's divorce and that he didn't have a place for, a grand piano. And, and it was an awesome place in this small steel town called Pina. <laughs> back to the steels steel mills so that we did that for two years but after two years i just felt i wasn't learning anything i just trying to make it faster and and as good as we could in the time we had and and yeah we were so i'd go up to hamburg to ndr to the studio to the head of uh, children's programming with storyboards 
like ideas I would come up with. I'd get my my girlfriend to translate them and I would do the storyboards and we would go up and uh, just try to sell the stories and he would pick about half and then we would get half the money. Then we'd go back and make the films. We'd go back up to Hamburg and and he would give us the rest of the money after changes and stuff. So like things like uh, Um So I went up there once and he said, kind of Glubschaugen. I said, what? Kind of what? So kind of means no, uh, no Glubschaugen. What are Glubschaugen? <laughs> and he said, big eyes, <laughs> like the Disney, Disney eyes. We don't want big Disney eyes. We want little circles like Fred, like Barney Rubble, you know, and, and uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so we did that. But anyway, that was fun. But uh, after two years, I just said, I have to go back. And by then I'm, we're married and uh, I, we had our wedding in, in Canada, went to see Ottawa and camped and canoed and, and I was just kind of getting homesick. And I said, well, let's give Canada a try and then we'll figure out where we want to live. And we did that. And then like we left that studio and I got a job back in Ottawa, uh, supposedly as an animator, but then they put me in, in between and I had to fight my way out of that. You can't, you, you have to really, like, again, it's all about, you know, if there's one thing to take from that, it's like about fighting for what you want and letting people know what you want rather than like hiding in the corner, just doing what you do. So, cause I had a, the production manager, you know, hired me and said, yeah, you can come back as an animator. But then the studio director at the time put me in the in-between and they said, like, oh, you know, um, you know, uh, we've, we're, you're in between. I said, no, no, like I've done all this stuff. I've directed in Europe and, and I done all this. And I was no longer the shy chubby kid saying like, look, I can do this. I, I finally had the confidence and the confidence is really helpful. Uh, even if you can't do it, having the confidence can take you over those those hurdles. And uh, so by then I was, and I was just like, yeah, come on, come on, come on. And I kept bugging this director, and the director finally said, okay, okay, I'll I'll give you a scene to animate, but I'm giving all the in-betweeners scenes to animate, and we'll pick the best one. I guess because they need an animator, right? And I said, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so he did. So they they give my friend, um, you know, Santa's gloves. This is Blue Toes, the Christmas Elf, <laughs> um, directed by Mick Casey, who, who wasn't the senior director, but but he was cool. But my friend had these gloves of Santa coming in and picking up a present out. Super easy to animate, and and I had Santa sliding along a rooftop in the in snow, a snowy rooftop, sliding in towards a chimney with two presents, and has to deposit the presents down the chimney. And then look over the roof, wipe his brow, and then jump off out of scene. And then, okay, this is great. This is the challenge I needed. Like, it's the hardest scene ever, right? And so I have him come in. I have him jump up. I have him slam dunk the presents down. And then he lands and he looks over, wipes his brow, and he jumps up into a cannonball and cannonballs off the roof. And uh, yeah, so and Mick approved it with no revisions at all. He said, no, it was great. <laughs> So, so the director comes back to me after finding out and says, okay, you could be an animator, but this is temporary. So I was going to ask, how far is this into your 10-year plan to return to teaching? So two years in, I'm, I'm now in year six of my 10-year plan. And, keep, and keeping track of it, right? Like I knowing where I was and what I still needed to do. And so now I'm animating. So now I just have to become a good animator. And so got to work, you know. Oh, and, and there was a job for the Nutcracker Prince, uh, which was a feature film made in Ottawa. And it's on YouTube. It had some really great animators on it. Like a lot of the animators in Ottawa ended up as Disney superstars, like Nick Ranieri and 
Jamie Olive, but anyway, it, it was year six and I was doing okay, but I was starting to wonder about, um, you know, this is a slog and I'm not very good. Uh, it's, it's again, revisions on model because my drawing isn't allowing me to draw the character perfectly on model. And there were things I didn't know. I was actually starting to rethink my career thinking maybe you shouldn't make your you know, first love your your job because you know, maybe that's the problem. And I was thinking I could look go to Algonquin College, which is a community college there, and and look around and find um, a job that where if you're in the top ten percent of your class, it pays well and there's a guaranteed job. Maybe I'll just go and pick a career and do that. Um, and uh, but I hadn't started looking yet when um, they started this animation program. So Sheridan. Emily Carr, and now Algonquin College. So they started this animation program. They brought in one person who had been doing kind of part-time classes, who was a, a person I knew at the studio. And they brought him in to teach the first year and work setting it up. And then they needed a second year teacher, like a, a another full-time teacher when they got their second year. So the, the second year in was 1990. And, and uh, my wife was... Uh, looking in the paper and we hardly ever got the paper, but it was a Saturday paper. And she goes, Oh, look, there's an ad here for an animation teacher in Algonquin. I said, what? <laughs> you know, how can that be? Oh no, like I, it's too early. It's too early. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> and uh, so, it's, so they, they, uh, they, they just, uh, so I said, well, I got to go to it. I can't turn it down. This is Providence. And, and, uh, so I, I got ready. I got my reel and I was there at two in the morning before the interview doing the tape to tape recording on a recorder that I had and a recorder that I rented and, and putting together this terrible reel of, of just like total crap. And like, you know, it's a morning I'm thinking, I can't go. I can't go and show them this. This is crap. This is like, ah. And, and so the only reason I, I was going to bail and then the only reason I went was, well, if you bail, what are the consequences of that? They'll never ask you back. You know? And so I have to at least go. It's going to be painful, but let's go. And so I went in and there's like, you know, my colleague from the studio is there, of course, who's teaching now full time and and these other people. But they weren't interested in the quality of my work. <laughs> They they weren't impressed by like they didn't like I think they must have looked at the portfolio and stuff and there might have been stuff there but they weren't animators they weren't they were like an uh, an English teacher graphic design people uh, my colleague who's an animator but he was the only animator and and so they looked at it and and um, and um, so the dean called me up at work and said yeah you didn't get the job <laughs> they said but the person who got the jobs in Toronto directing Babar series and uh but he's not sure he wants to come up here yet and uh so so they said so we just want to know if you're ready to jump in if he says no and i said yeah for sure yeah please <laughs> i'm yeah i'll leave in a, in a minute and uh so uh so basically that's what happened i found out years later because i was at uh, my friend's wedding and he was he was the only other animator invited and it just turned out that that was the guy who turned down the job I said, oh, who are you? I, I was, I'm the cap, and I was teaching at, I started at Algonquin, and, and he was, Algonquin, you stole my job. And it's at, at the dinner party, right? And he said, no, no, I didn't steal anybody's job. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you took my job. You turned the job down. It's not my fault. 
Yeah, because that, that was Larry Jacobs, who's been a director at Nelvana forever and a uh, really good friend of, of Glenn, who I worked with. And and I was at Glenn's wedding and he said, like, oh, what, really? He said, no, no, I, I was going to, I had that job. They gave it to me. Um, but my daughter, my teenage daughter didn't want to move to Ottawa. And so I turned it down. I said, oh, thank you, thank you. He shook his hand. <laughs> but you got that job before you actually had like a teaching certificate, right? How does that work? I thought you needed a certificate before you actually start yeah. working education. No, because it, it's always been about what can you do? Do you know what you're doing? Like, do you really, like at one point, and this used to be true, it's not so true anymore because all my friends, all my colleagues have master's degrees. But I remember telling my dean at CAP saying, you know, saying like, look, show me somebody with a master's degree and I'll show you somebody who can't get a job in animation. Because they're going off on another route, research and making their own film, and they're not learning the process. So for, for a school to graduate people who are industry ready and have the foundation skills that will move them up, you know, quickly through the ranks to where they're making decent money and and enjoying themselves and uh, with the skills to do that, you need teachers who do that, right? So, uh, and and so, when I got the job, I was feeling like a hypocrite because I was ready to get out of the industry. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm such a hypocrite, like taking this teaching job and gaining all this respect because you didn't get the respect as an animator. But as soon as you're a teacher, everyone's like, oh, you're a teacher. Oh, and I'm thinking like, no, this is not right. This is like, you know, why are we fighting for a cost of living increase? My, my friends in the industry are getting less money every year because you know, they just budget. Oh yeah, we had, to budget, we had to bid low. So we're only paying you this much. You know, that was the industry. Um, and so, um, so I really felt kind of like imposter syndrome and, uh, and, and there was much better people, um, you know, in this, in the, in my studio thinking like, why didn't they apply? How do you overcome imposter syndrome? Work your tail off. I, I felt, okay, well, I don't even know if I can teach and I'm just going to have to work this my first year. So I was given a binder of a, a three assignments that were done last year. And I looked at them and just like, let's change this. And I just started building what I thought they should learn and coming up with them and, and not doing, you know, working. I, I, it was, it was a lot of work and I was just throwing myself at it. So um, it would take me six hours to prepare for a three hour class. I would do all the assignments that I would give them myself before I gave them to them. So I would know where the difficult parts were, just like really overdoing it. Like, and then I would go to bed the night before my class and I'd basically dream of teaching that class from start to finish. So I basically had taught the class three hours in my sleep and I'd wake up and go teach the class. So, so it was tough. And, and I also, I had this huge fear of speaking in front of people from my childhood, just couldn't talk to more than three people without stuttering and knees shaking and stuff. So three strangers. And uh, so, and I wasn't sure I would do that. And so I, I um, but I figured, okay. And I did a teacher training week down in Queens University with other college teachers and of all ages. And I, I discovered that they were as nervous as, as I was before having to teach to strangers. And so, okay, I guess it's normal. I figured after a few weeks, we all know each other. We're not friends, but we're, you know, we know we're, we're working together. You know, it'll be different. And and so the idea was to get through those first three weeks. But yeah, that imposter syndrome was, was that whole first year. And, but the thing was, I, I learned another secret because when you put everybody's 
poses up, like I'll have them all do a pose and you put them all up on the wall and you say, okay, which ones do you like the best? And they say, which ones would stand out as really great drawings? And I said, okay, why? And we would analyze it, we'd break it down. And so I would learn design theory from, from that. And I would, I would learn which students had done great things and which students were doing things that were making their stuff look terrible. And we say, okay, do this, don't do that. And, and I was absorbing so much. Like people will always tell you that, you know, teaching is the best way to learn something, having to teach it. And animation, we'd be looking at animation. Uh, they were animating on paper and shooting it on a, a video line test. And, you know, we would go in and, and say, yeah, like, um, why is this animation looking good? And this one doesn't. Well, this one slows down at the top of the arc. So, you know, a bouncing ball goes up and it has like anything that changes direction basically slows down because if it's at the same speed, it doesn't look right and nobody sees it, sees that change anyway. So there are a lot of like small formulas or truths in animation that once you know them, your animation becomes, you know, maybe not your performance, but your mechanics of it is is great and, and you have to know them all. And so um, I would I learned all those in the first year. And so from being, from ready to get out of the industry, I just like, let me add it. Let me get back in. I got to get back in. And I was just like, I was at the horse at the gate, just ready for April to come by so I could like work and find. So, and that was Ren and Stimpy. So Jamie Olaf, who was directing the Ottawa Ren and Stimpy shows, I was talking to him and he said, oh yeah, you've got that Warner Brothers style. So you'd like to work? on Ren Stimpy. Yeah, sure. So how long are you there before the West Coast comes calling again? Oh, they didn't come calling. Um, <laughs> so I, I was there four years. And the first year, it was, um, it was, it was tough, but it was great. The students were awesome. We're still friends. And there are three Nick, directors in Vancouver who were from that first class. So Colleen Halub and, uh, and, and Mo Sherwood and Rick Katinsky. You know, they're still here. But so like anyway, I was there four years and and it was OK. Um, it, it was really great. But I was thinking, OK, I've achieved all my goals. What do I do now? I'm only I'm only 34. You know, and then then um, somebody faxed me faxed. Somebody worked at one of the museums that we did a, a, work, a workshop of an animation at and sent this. And hey, Capilano, University, Capilano College is looking for someone to set up their animation department. And. I thought, oh, that's great. Oh, that's exactly what Vancouver needs. And in fact, I had called somebody up like a year earlier, um, two years earlier, when I heard a rumor that there was going to be an animation program in Vancouver. And um, so I called up this person at CAP and his name was Jim Pazoki. And I said, hey, yeah, are you, getting a, are you setting up a career? He goes, oh, no, that's just a course I teach. I said, well, you know, Vancouver really needs a good two-year program. You know, and that was, and we left it at that. And so, um, so I was, I was there at Algonquin and my wife was homesick for Germany and I was thinking, okay, well, we go to Germany. I have to give up teaching, but, uh, cause you're not like, you have to be a professor, like you have to have a PhD in Germany to teach anything basically. And, uh, um, so I, I, I just said, well, we could go to Germany. Yeah, sure. And so she, I said, so she went on a kind of a fact finding mission, see her parents and, been there and and um and I I got this fax and it says oh wow cool and so I applied and um and uh is that like they had they had put out ads in LA to get the animation community and across Canada in a national 
paper. So it was widespread and I applied. They said, okay, your your phone interview is on this date. I said, well, if I was there in person, um, would it be the same time? And they said, yeah, in person or on phone, your choice. And I said, okay, and, and this is the only interview? They said, yeah, this is the only interview. I said, okay, I'm, I, I'd am i been working as a character designer that summer, so it was good money. And so I said, okay, I'm flying myself out. So I flew out, stayed at a friend's house in North Van, went to the interview. But again, from that Coast Guard thing, I had researched who all the, I said, do you mind telling me who's on the committee, who I'll be talking to, right? Which is something you don't usually do. And they said, sure, so-and-so, so they're all graphic design people, right? And and the vice president, Greg Lee, and said this. And so I said, okay. And I researched them all, went in there and, and then went to the interview and left. And then they called me up and said, yeah, we'd like another interview. You made the short list. I said, what? I already flew myself out there. Because <laughs> I know being there in person is way better. So I said, well, like, okay. And they said, well, we can fly out for this one then. So they they brought me back and for the short. And I said, and I, so I talked to Greg Lee and said, like, well, what are you looking for? You've already interviewed me. Like, what are you hoping to find out in this second interview? Which again, was like something that's, like you wouldn't normally think of doing, but yes, like why not ask them? They want they want to find the right, right thing. So you might as well ask your future employer all the questions. And that so they said, well, we're we're starting a program, but it's too late because we're not ready. It's August, and we're not ready to uh, to start in September. So what we we do all this year after we hired the person? What's their plan to keep busy this year? So I, I had two plans of workshops and. Think ways to get the community built up to know that we exist, part-time courses. And, and so I came into a second interview with like folders with their names on each folder. And you open them, and there's like outlines and outcomes of each thing we were doing. And, and I said, and I just handed them out. Here you go, Jim, Bob, <laughs> and Greg. And and uh, so they they uh they, you know they they um the other people were animators, so they didn't know teaching, they didn't know what the administrators would be wanting and and basically I, I figured out they want somebody who can just sit down and and get to work without asking them a lot of questions without running into dead ends or making mistakes and so I emphasized the fact that I was already doing this for four years because that was my apprenticeship and uh, and I got hired in 94. Wow okay so your wife is in well your wife has gone to Germany to unfed this back so she comes back and all of a sudden you've applied for this job in western Canada is she happy about this like what's her reaction? So I hadn't gotten the job yet but I said she came back she goes oh you know the the, the Berlin wall the, the German, east German wall just came down and and you know it's different there's a big influx of people coming in and rents are higher and prices are higher and jobs are scarce my, my parents are thinking maybe we should stick around here for a while. And I said, oh, okay, well, how does Vancouver sound to you? So it worked out. It was fine. Well, I already told her how all the great things about Vancouver when we were living in Ottawa with like, she hated the snow. And, you know, and so I said, well, how about, how about, uh, like, there's a picture of us. We had, we had a farm south of Ottawa and the drifts were like five feet high. And she's sitting, standing in a drift with a little sign that says help and took a picture. <laughs> so, so she goes, yeah, that can be good. And by then her sister's in Calgary and married to a Canadian. They get to Vancouver and start. Um, so I had a year to set up the, the program, to write the outlines, to get the studios on board with what we were doing. And how we're going to be working for them. So the first job was I got a fax machine in in Ottawa and just started faxing, you know, letters to the studio owners 
telling what we were looking for. And, and it was good because we're like the studio owners were all animators. And so, you know, if I didn't know them directly, I, they, we were friends of friends that I worked with in Ottawa and like Chris Bartleman and Blair Peters I worked with in Ottawa. They owned Studio B, which is now Wild Brain. Yeah, so it was great. But at that time, there were just like three studios, basically, that that were there. And um, so we had a year to, to design it and set up. And so in January, we hired three teachers to each teach their specialty, uh, animation, layouts, and uh and, and you know, so so animation was Darren Brereton, who teaches at Emily Carr now, and uh, was in my class at Emily Carr. Um, he was the best one in the class. <laughs> he was he was a he knew stuff we didn't know. John Delaney, whose brother owned Delaney Students Delaney and Friends Studio. So it's always great if you get somebody with a direct connection to a studio uh, teaching because they can do the hiring too. And uh, and then Mo Garishi, who was my student at Algonquin older than I am, but uh, um, loved life drawing and wanted more life drawing. I said, we'll start a life drawing club then. And and so that's what we did at Algonquin. So I said, I, I told him, I need a new, I need a great life drawing teacher who knows animation, not just a fine art or graphic design life drawing teacher. I need an animation life drawing teacher. And I don't know if I can hire you, but uh, I need one because he was coming out to Vancouver at the same time. And so he ended up as our life drawing teacher for that course and then permanently. So he's been around Capilano for 28 years. So how many students did you have in that first class? And that was a two-year program at the time, right? It was a one-year program that had to get permission to become a two-year program. Like it was a one-year trial. And at the end of the one year, we had an opening and I invited people. And like one of my students was, was the head of layouts on Anastasia at the time from Algonquin. So he got Gary Goldman from Don Bluth and Gary Goldman to come up. And the VP of International at Disney flew in directly from Japan. And there are all these people, and the local studios, of course, uh, Steve Evangelatis, who's directing the new Snoopy movie um, and had his own studio in the 90s uh, called Natterjack. And uh, and he came to me and said, hey, Don, I, how'd you get all these people here? <laughs> They're all like ringers. And, and they said... I don't know, <laughs> just, you know, contacts, I guess, networking and like, cause, cause my student told Gary about it. And so Gary, they all needed people, right? This was, this was when it got crazy. This was Lion King when six animation studios opened up in, you know, doing feature films, feature animated films, six of them in one year. So, cause they all saw the, the billions that were being made by Lion King in marketing and films. So it was just a great start for that. A little late for Disney Vancouver because Disney Vancouver started up, but they had already had their team before we had our first grad. So we were one year, uh, but basically it was a two-year program, but we did it one year at a time. So then, then I had to write the outlines for the second year and figure out how we did it. But I just took all those jobs I had and, and said, okay, well, what jobs do we want these people to get? And okay, let's work backwards. Let's like work out on the skill sets of what these jobs require. And then those became courses. So I, I didn't want to copy any, I didn't want to copy Sheridan and you know, cause I didn't go there and I just wanted to do something fresh. You've built something really special at, at Capilano. I mean, and over the course of the time that you've been there, you know, you took this one year trial into a two year program that's, you know, really well respected. And you've pumped out, I would venture probably thousands of grads that are most of them working in the industry and, you know, some of them very successful. And I'm curious about 
Perhaps not the teaching, but the students have changed over the course of your of your time as a teacher. Because I mean, I expect that as the industry changes, the students change as well. I mean, time moves on; people have new interests, new hobbies. Technology changes. So this all affects the kind of you know individuals that are you know entering the industry. Has there been a shift in the students over the course of the twenty plus years you've been doing this? Always, and uh, and the biggest thing is the difference in age becomes bigger. So I have students now who are retiring <laughs> and I'm not thinking of retiring. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, that was like, you know, one of the VPs of production at, at Mercury Filmworks in Ottawa was like my very first year student with Mo and Colleen. And uh, so back then we were all like closer in age, but some things stay the same, you know, it, it, there's a huge work ethic. So you know, some people might say that, the, you know, and, and it's true, I, I get way more requests for extensions and sick days and, and things now than we ever did before. Of course, now, if you go to school sick, you're, it's more serious than five years ago. You know, and, and I heard from another program, you know, how people said, like students would say, oh, I, I can't do this. I'm just going to leave. So I'm not sure. It It just, to me, the graduates are still the same because it's it's a two-year process where they come in as like and we had more high school like direct high school people now than we've ever had whereas in the past when we were two years but a much cheaper program you would get a lot of people changing careers so you get students in their late 20s 30s and and so they have a different you know scope they're more demanding and they'll they'll question you for evidence of why you're saying what you're saying, which is awesome. It's like what I want. And, you know, we've got we've got some students now uh, graduating. They're like they've had other careers, and and they in first year they would pull me into a room and say, Don, we have some questions about the industry. I say, Yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> you know, and it's great to see because you know they're going to be successful. Um, so I think well, so there the maturity level is not, and this isn't the negative comment. It's just lower and. And like I was just telling them, my students yesterday, how I was like the biggest goof at art school. And and when I was graduating, the, my Hugh, my teacher said, well, you've really matured a lot over these last four years, <laughs> which was he was basically telling me how much of a goof I was when I came in. So, uh, yeah, and it's like, yeah, so you're trying to like I, I teach first year uh, entry level to both. We have two sections, so two classes of first years. I think Sheridan has five and we were one section for 23 years where I was the only full-time person. So I was like the mother hen and um, got really got to know the students well, but the whole thing is about giving them that industry professionalism that nobody has until they work in the industry or if they go to a school where they can really um, get that and you get that from working with professionals. So, um, but having the first years and first semester and, and being able to kind of try to mold them and try to get them like the, my first assignment is an assignment that is just simple spacing, which is not so simple and, and very important, but it uh, it's just moving things around fast, accelerate, decelerate. This is how you do it with animation. But it's really all about, you know, how to hand in your assignment and following instructions. So all the grading is, all their score is based on following instructions, which is the key to survival in the industry. And, and then how to take feedback, how to take critique and 
you know, being able to show your work to more than two people and not faint and, and, and or not break out into tears. And, you know, and that's, but people can, you know, like we all learn from our mistakes. So it, it's, it's possible. So your question about, you know, has it changed? Yeah, I think yeah, it's funny because they asked me that uh, a year or two ago and, and I said, oh, you're way more sensitive than other years. <laughs> and I, and I could see their faces, but they couldn't say anything because they would prove me right. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's kind of fun. It's fun being in class, like having that back and forth, and, you know, joking around and, but still like working hard, like all of us, like I tell my students, you can send me anything, anytime for, for a video review feedback of your work in progress. And, we have lab supervisors who do that as well. Top people in the industry who work six to nine, one night a week, just to help people with their homework. I, I think it's the process where you want people to come in to feel comfortable. Like we have, like they come in and they have their desk and they can set up all their toys. Like, like, um, like you'd see in an animation studio because they're not kicked out for another student to come in in the afternoon class. And, and I think that's very valuable and a, a really important aspect of, of the success of the program. It gives them this comfort. Uh, they can't get too comfortable, but that's what the deadlines of the assignments are for um, to keep them you know working. And uh, um, but they can go in there in evenings and weekends with their security card and just access the building. and and um, so that does two things. First of all, they're working on, you know, working on with equipment that is good. And I guess three things, because, you know, for me, it was always the beer fridge was too close when I was at home. And then you get tired and you need sleep and then you wake up and you're hungry and then you have a beer with it. And it was this vicious cycle. So I always liked working at school. So that's what I wanted. And because uh, when you're working at school, you've got like a lot of friends around you and you will always learn more from your peers than you will for your teachers. Your teachers kind of get the ball moving, but it's your friends working with you that really help you learn that stuff. So having a place where they can work together is valuable. That setup also encourages working together and it really feels almost like a studio because, you know, you're you're working with other people, you're forging friendships, you're learning from each other. And so when you get out after your to your program, you have all of these folks that you've gone to school with that have graduated with you. You're all entering the industry at the same time. Perhaps you're not all, not all working together but you all know each other. Like you already start the ball rolling of this of community, which is what is one of the big parts of the local industry, because, you know, the reality of it is you're going to work in a number of different studios. And one of the ways you're going to find out about that job is probably through some friend of yours that works there. So you're already starting to build that, that network of connectivity and, you know, this fostering this idea that, you know, it really is about a community and working together. Yeah. And, and that's our only goal is to like help them, start their complete 40-year future in animation and and so those skill sets are are important so there are tons of things that aren't in outlines that you're teaching you know about getting along being the problem solver rather than somebody who creates problems and, and you talk about those are the things you talk about while we're working on things it's just really important to to have that but it's also first year second year and second year alumni so we work on those connections as well. So we had an open house a few weeks ago and, you know, some great alumni, these friends of mine, we go on hikes now, we're all friends. And uh, uh, they came in to uh, help out, look at portfolios. 
So successful industry people looking at incoming portfolios. And so that's the, and then I told all the, the students like, hey, these people are coming in, make sure you say hi to them and get them on LinkedIn. And it's really a, a community thing. And, and that's what's so great about the animation industry because, um, you know, everybody knows each other and everybody's pretty much trying to make everybody else laugh. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a great space. So, so animators are, you know, they're the best and that's why it was that environment that wanted me to be a teacher because just like that that community that you have like because we had that at emily Carr too where nobody had to share a table it was just a simple drafting table it wasn't like a computer but uh you know and it was actually a one-room schoolhouse so the animation department at emily Carr was you go up the stairs to the second floor in Granville Island, you go back and you you go in the first, you go into this narrow hallway, which had the camera rooms with the doors closed usually on the side. So you walk through this intimidating channel and then you open up into the kitchen, which had a stove for puppets, but we used them for pizzas and salmon. And, uh, and then there's just these tables, but that was second year. And then in the middle of the room was third year. And in the back of the room with the NFB tables, like they looked like the Disney animation desks. They, that was fourth year. So that's what you aspired to. And then you had a window over, over False Creek and you could hang your lunch out in the winter and it, it would, your the meat would still be edible by lunch. And yeah, it was, it was great. But it was a one-room schoolhouse with a bunch of zanies in there and, and one zany teacher and who was basically just the coach. You know, I don't remember, like, there were some specific assignments in the first year, but from then on, it was like you're doing your films and just working. It was great. Clearly, you get a lot of, you know, motivation and passion and you love what you do. But I'm assuming that, you know, at some point, everybody has a little bit of burnout or, you know, years that aren't such good as others. How do you stay motivated? How do you keep yourself head in the game kind of thing? The only time I had burnout, and that was my second year of teaching, because the first year went so well. And, and uh, so I worked freelance all summer, and I didn't give myself a break. And then my in-laws came for a visit, like in late August, September, and I was touring them around. And I was really burnt out. It was like, a, I, I'm sure it was a clinical burnout, because I just didn't learn the students' names. I was miserable angry worst worst teacher ever <laughs> and, and so that was the one thing and so then I vowed that from then on I would take holidays so you always had to have at least two weeks to just chill you know and and this is another guilt thing I had when I started teaching is the the holidays uh you know it's just I never took the job for the holidays but um you get eight weeks, you know, but oftentimes you're working over those eight weeks. Um, you know, you're, you're still in touch. Although even now, last year, there was kind of some some labor issues and stuff. And I didn't get two weeks of holiday pay because of the staff strike. And uh, and like I've always been like so loyal and like just like, yeah, this is the place. And then like they're taking away holidays that I've actually earned already and, and they're not paying me and they still haven't. And and so when it came to my holidays last year, I took them and I had nothing to do. And it was the greatest thing. So that's how you prevent burnout is taking holidays. And you've got professional development time where you can just choose what you want to work on to make you a better teacher. Um, so those are real benefits that that you know, they, they come back to serve the school because by September, you're just dying to get back in there. Like, And, and actually, we start the first year, like once they 
pay their deposit, we have a big Zoom meeting so they can meet each other in like um, April, May and say, hey, let's all get together, ask your questions. Let's tell you, like, try to live on the North Shore because the bridges are terrible. Um, you know, and, and um, this is what you can be doing this summer to get ready to, for success. And uh, yeah, and um, so, um, you know, and then we go on break and then there's nothing until August. So, um, and students work can keep working there after they, they graduate, they can keep coming back for like six more weeks. Um, before everything gets, you know, labs have to be redone and stuff. So uh, it, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it's just, you know, not burning out. And really, it's heavy duty if you want it to be. I mean, you could be a teacher and be super lazy. You're in a union and no one's really going to, I don't know if they can fire you. <laughs> it's like, but that doesn't bode well for the future. You know, like, uh, you know, it's like students becoming, trying to become as good as they can be their life will be much easier and much more fun if they're really highly skilled. And it's not a talent. I, I learned early in animation teaching that it's not a God-given talent. Like you're not meant to be a you know, superstar animator. You, you work at it and you learn stuff that other people don't learn because maybe you know, they don't care or they are doing other things. And uh, so it, it's really that. So taking breaks, whether you're in a studio or whether you're um, there even students like there's a thing for all nighters now and I don't understand it because all nighters are are like a toxin they're they're the worst thing you can do uh, they they kill you for the next three days once you do an all nighter so your work isn't good because you're super tired and then you can't work for another two days or so because you're too tired and and plus you're hurting yourself physically and uh, um, so but I'm noticing people are still doing it and we're admonishing them like look like the mo most important thing is your health. Keep your health, you know, and, and eat well if you can. So we have pizza parties that are partly there for the that community that we were talking about, but also because students are paying a huge tuition and don't always live with their families and and sometimes struggling to 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 eat. <laughs> a pizza party, like on the 24-hour contest when they are doing an all-nighter, but it's sanctioned because it's a 24-hour filmmaking contest around the world with all students from all countries. So we bring in like pizza for supper uh you know snacks all night and then uh, breakfast wraps in the in morning and then just before like before they finish their competition we bring in sushi so, so it, it's great but it doesn't happen every week burnout yeah it can happen anywhere but i think taking breaks is the best thing we we haven't touched on it yet but i want to make sure that you know before we start to wrap things up i wanted to ask you about you know the work that you do in jamaica because that's not an that's a very uncommon thing, and I, I mean I have no idea how you even became involved with that. Can you talk a little bit about how that even became a thing? And for people that don't know what you're doing there, can you explain what you're doing? We we were we got asked if we wanted to make the program bigger, have another section of students. That back when we were one, I said no, Vancouver's not big enough for it. Um, this is good as it is uh, for the quality and. Uh, but maybe we could do growth elsewhere. So we in 2002, we went to Malaysia. They wanted a program. So we set up a program there. We worked in India at the I Institute of Technology there in Mumbai and uh, tried to get a program there. It didn't quite work. Got one in Harbin, China, part of their four-year degree. The two middle years were 2D and 3D animation. So we developed around the world. And that was kind of fun. And it's really fun. Um, 
kind of making animators. It sounds kind of cheesy, Johnny Appleseed of animators. Um, but that was part of the dream, right? Like, let's get more animators. And my teacher, Hugh, at Emily Carr said, you know, more animators doesn't mean unemployment. It means more work because they're a raw material. Good, good talent is a raw material for industry. And, and you'll get more work if you have more animators now that's been proven in vancouver you know we're just snowballing now and and uh but it wasn't always that way <laughs> with jamaica they called a friend of mine who was a background painter on the raccoons and hadn't seen him since then called me up or emailed me and said hey um the canadian government's looking for somebody to go to jamaica for a week uh, and to do classes and stuff at the end of their first thing the world bank is interested in jamaica as a as a place that doesn't do animation but that could easily become really good at animation as a provider of services for other companies, which is done in the industry. Cheaper labor, um, but they speak English and they're creative and they have a sense of humor in Jamaica. And they have like already an arts driven industry with music. And uh, um, so would you like to go there? And, and, and um, it's, it's for a week and it's to teach teachers like graphic design media, professors um, and winners of the festival uh, have a workshop with them to teach them to 2D animation and 3D animation. So, and I said like, oh really? It's, and so I talked to them and they said, yeah, it's in Kingston. I said, Kingston, what about the crime rate there? I don't want to go there. <laughs> but Adam Sale, who works with me, he, he runs the visual effects program in our, in our school of our animation and VFX. Um, I talked to Adam. I said, well, my colleague was born in Kingston. He's Jamaican. Like, maybe he would go, right? And so I called Adam and said, hey, Adam, like, how about this? He goes, oh, man, you, you got to ignore the press. Kingston's great. Everything's great in Jamaica. And and they, they, there's no danger. That's just media reporting. There's, there's those dangers everywhere. And I said, okay, well, maybe they'll bring both of us. <laughs> and so I, I talked to the embassy and they they said, or the consulate, and they, they said, yeah, 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 come, both of you can come down. And so we went down there and we did that week and it was awesome. It was great. We I taught animation with Flash and they didn't really have equipment. I, we brought down old graphics tablets that they could use and we brought them back and, and it was awesome. And then that set up Train the Trainers program that the World Bank initiated with the Prime Minister's Office of Jamaica. They asked us to come down. So we went down for a month, just Adam and, and I, and we um, rented a play a couple rooms in a house like a mansion house but it was now turned over to like different apartments and stuff but it was on the cliffs over kingston and we taxied around it was a great month and you're working with these people who weren't that didn't really want the help and just said who are these guys coming down from canada but they all became really close friends and they've got a great industry and it was like so we did that for i think four years. I wasn't in all every year, but we did go down there for, I think five, maybe five. I think maybe I was there for three or four. And uh, see, it just pack up in July and just go. We helped Kingston get six programs off the ground, six university degree programs off the ground. So University of Technology and University of the West Indies, the Heart Institute, which is like college system throughout uh, Jamaica. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Clearly, you're passionate about education and, you, you know, instilling a sense of, of community and bringing people together and sort of fostering youth into into this growing industry. And I'm curious if you had 
you know, one or two things to say to parents whose kids are interested in going into animation and they're not really sure how to support their kids? Because, I mean, it's not it's not always an easy thing to know, especially if you're not in the industry already, how to best support your children that want to do something that you don't know anything about. So, you know, if if you had, you know, kids that are curious about animation and the parents don't really know what to do to support them, what would you say to those parents? Yeah, so being a supporter is the main thing, not pushing them into it. Early on, the very first year of the program, people were phoning me and I talked to this mother three, four times on the phone. After four times, we were like asking me all these questions and I said, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but do you even have a son? Because <laughs> this is the only person I'm talking to like four times. And, and, and the person says, yeah, he's right here. You want to talk to him? I said, yes, please. <laughs> and then he gets on the phone. I said, you don't really want to go into animation, do you? He goes, no, not really. I said, okay, well, tell your mom that. <laughs> She's spending all her time trying to help you with this. So it's. I think it's like if a student really wants it, I would say uh, any person, older brother, parents, they can support them by just finding places that are researched, like the Spark Festival. You know, if they're interested in animation, send them to all the, get them on the Spark newsletter and say, hey, there's this thing coming up. Do you want to go? And, you know, so-and-so is talking. This is a great talk on stop motion. You want to, you know, and, and that, and I would say, get them into the community, like in terms of what's going on and, and research, find out whether they really like it. it. It's a contract position for the most part. So, which means you get a, um, anywhere from a three month to a five year through maybe not a three-year contract and uh, then it ends and now you're looking for work again so you have to be kind of an entrepreneur and uh, and some people love it and some people can't take that you know are you are you ready to work do you really love it I think is the main thing if if they're really passionate about it they don't need anybody um, to help them they just need to be pointed in the right direction and to talk to people who do that thing for a living because it's a lot of work and if you're not, if you don't like it, then it's a ton of work. Like with us, we teach everything from layouts to backgrounds, to storyboards, to character design, to animation. But animation is an important one. It's where the most jobs are. So we tell people, like, look, you may want to be a background painter, but, or a concept artist, which is what everybody wants, which studios have one of usually. And uh, I said, but you know, you're going to have to do animation and you're going to have to want to do animation because it's a lot of work. We'll teach you how to do it efficiently, but uh, you, it's still a lot of work. So if you love the work that you're doing, then it doesn't seem as much like work, but you, it's still work. It's still taking up time. Parents can help by supporting them, by showing them like like at the we were at the Argyle Career Fair last weekend um, and there were parents there with their kids and it was great. You know, but the parents are like, take this, go here. You know, and really research schools. Don't do the one school thing that I did and just, you know, find out because every school has a different kind of reason for being and um, different goals. Um, find out what their graduates do, where they're where all like if you can find out, like because every school has like you, you could be the worst school in the world. And you'll still have people come through who become superstars it, because it's really down to the student, not the school. The school can help, but the student is the one who makes it successful or not. So it's it's. Uh, you know, look for somebody, look for as many of the graduates you can. Like we have, um, um, just to plug, make a plug, gradshow.com. 
is is our domain for the animation grads in visual effects 3D and 2D. And and you can go in there and in the top right, it's kind of hard to see, but there's a gap, there's a graduate gallery and you can see every graduate from last year, the year before, the year before that, the year before that. I don't want to go too far back because students get embarrassed by their grads didn't work when they've been out in the industry for a few years. But, uh, you know, you can see every student, you can click on them and, uh, and probably there's a LinkedIn address and you can see what they're doing now. And, and, you know, a lot of cap grads, like I tell students who are, you know, I tell people like talk to a cap grad, they'll, they'll be happy to talk to you for the most part and give you advice and, uh, you know, so I would say come to the open houses of all the schools that you think you might like, but, um, you know, and look around and price is another factor, like uh, research, research, like, and, um, and pay attention in class. <laughs> you know, if you really want it, go for it and work hard, make sure you're the, the best in the class or at least try. And that was a conversation with Don Perot. You can find out more about Don and the animation program he helped found at capilanou.ca. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits by Michael Edlin. Editing and additional production support by Joshua Peterman. For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.